All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to New Life. Glad you guys are here today. Thanks for coming out. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I want to say a big hello to all of our guests that are with us in our main auditorium here. And I also want to say a big hello to all those of you that are attending with us in our gym auditorium as well. Um, if you haven't been down to our uh, our gym venue, which we we just now passionately call the venue, uh, that place is uh, getting really packed out lately. I know you look around, and um, you look around probably in any venue that you sit in. You go, "Where's where are some of my friends? Where's some of my buddies? Uh, they might either be on vacation, they could be sick today, they could be at home watching us online uh, because they're too lazy to wake up." And if that is you. God loves you, and so do we. We want to see you. Um, but uh, they also might they might be attending in our in our new gym venue. That place is growing; it's growing like crazy. So, uh, anyways, we're we're doing those things so we can free up more and more space for people. Now, the summer is a bad time to really kind of talk about what's the reality of what our attendance looks like. But before but before summer hit, uh, we were we were up above eight hundred. Um, and we were just really seeing a number of people walk through the doors, of which some of you are those individuals that walk through the doors. That's the reason why we launched that gym. And now God's given us opportunities to expand beyond that, and many of you are aware of the fact that we're going to take the model of what we're doing in our venue, and we're planting that same model out in North Platte now. We're planting the church there where we have Dave and Tiffany coming. Dave is actually leading worship for us right now. Uh, during this service in the gym. I want to say thanks a lot, man, for being here, helping us out with that. So we are one church in multiple locations, and it is a joy to be one of the pastors that gets to serve at this great, great church. Hey, today we are going to continue our journey in the teaching series, Hide and Seek. And uh, if you heard about it last week and you're like, man, we got to get there because I was really bad at hide and seek. I could never really figure that game out. And now Pastor Jeff's talking about that game. So when I play with my grandchildren, I'll know better how to hide. That's you're at the wrong place, all right? We're talking about what it means to hide away from the world and to seek God. What does prayer look like that truly finds the heart of God? What does prayer look like that finds the heart of God? And we're looking um, strategically at Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament, okay? I told you last week, you could flip open your Bible, kind of like right to the middle, if you have an analog version of the Bible, flip it open, You'll find Psalms, and you can go back a couple of books, and that's where you'll find Nehemiah. If you have a digital one, we'll just type N-E, chapter 1. Wham, you're there. So we're going to be looking at Nehemiah, chapter 1 today. We're strategically looking at verse 5. Now, last week, Nehemiah finds out that he, the, the city of his people, Jerusalem, the walls have all been destroyed, the gates are busted down and are broken, and the people are in disarray. And Nehemiah is living in what we know now as Iran. <clears throat> that's kind of the ge- that's kind of the geographical area that he's in. He finds out this report of Jerusalem, which is in Israel uh, now. So he finds out that these people are in such trouble. His heart is so broken for them that in verse four it says that he mourns and he weeps and he fasts for days. But then something really dynamic takes place. After these few days go by. Verse 5 comes alive. And in verse 5, his whole attitude changes. His attitude changes to one of praise. His attitude changes to one of giving God honor. And we want to look at that today and kind of try to figure out 
You know, why did that happen for Nehemiah? What can we learn about that? How did that help Nehemiah find the heart of God in prayer? Because he's making a prayer to God on behalf of his people, behalf of the city, and he's strategically asking God, what can I do? How can I be a part of that? So today in week two, we're looking, we're looking at praise and awe that finds the heart of God. So I just want to talk to you for a minute about praise. What is praise anyways? And there's some things that I know about praise that I want to pass on to you. Praise increases value, okay? That's first off, and we're just setting the stage for this message today. But praise, it increases value. So if you, like, as an example, if you have an athlete that you really love to follow, you've got an athlete that, man, you just, you love this particular athlete, um, you praise this person, like, man, this person's great, you should see them. And when they shoot it, man, they just, they just drop it in the bucket all the time. Or when they swing, man, they just, boom, they've got a great batting average. Or, you know, on the, in football, man, they've got some amazing stats. I just love, this is my favorite player of all time. Well, when you praise a player like that, then the value for that player increases. Now you want to watch all their games, and you want to hear all the things they have to say. Today, right now in America, a recent poll that was just taken last week, the number one athlete, I want you to scream out who you think the number one athlete is in all of America on three. Ready? One, two, three. I heard LeBron James. Oh, that's exactly right. Now, I don't really know LeBron James. You know, I've never had coffee with LeBron James. I've never been to LeBron James' house. Uh, he's never come to my office for coaching or counseling. He's never been to our church to hear a sermon. I'm pretty sure he's not watching right now. I'm not validating LeBron James by putting his picture up there. I'm just telling you, he is the number one athlete. There's been a lot of praise given to him. He's coming back to his hometown. He's going to play in Cleveland again. He's been playing four years in the, with the Miami Heat. And he's going back to the town he grew up in to play there in a town that loves him. I guarantee you all of the town of Cleveland that loves basketball is listening intently with a value. What does LeBron James have to say? Because they've been giving him praise. Praise increases value. Another thing that I know about praise is that praise demands loyalty. Praise demands loyalty. If you praise a company such as maybe that company, if you praise a company like Apple, then you would probably own things like an iPhone. It's on the front pew. You probably own things like an iPad, like what I'm preaching with. You would probably own things like a like a, a MacBook Pro, like I have two of. You would probably own you. Oh yeah, you getting it? So if you what you praise, you become loyal to. And when people say things like, you got one of those fruit phones, then guess what loyalty causes you to do? To defend what you praise, right? So I'm not justifying, I'm, I'm not saying this is, this is the best. I'm just saying it was a great example because that's where I'm at. So what you praise, you become loyal to. You buy their products, you might buy their stock, you'll even defend them even if the product is messed up okay but that's what happens praise creates loyalty that's the key to remember another thing about praise is that praise leads to promoting praise leads to promoting like what you praise guess what you want you want everybody to have what you've experienced you want everybody to know what you know and in Kearney right now there's a lot of praise that's promoting one particular place over a lot of other places Am I right? 
Okay, that's true. How many times have you had conversations the last 60 days where someone come up to you and they said, have you seen the cheese? That's not a normal conversation anywhere. People are praising the cheese. Have you seen the bakery? Have you seen this? Have you seen that? This is the value you've got. You haven't been there. You've got to go. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you hear right now. Because praise causes you to promote. Causes you to promote. When you praise something, you want others to experience it as well. Fourth thing very quickly about praise that I think it's important for you to know as we dive into this message today is that praise, it creates an attitude of honor. That what you praise... You, you begin you begin to honor. One um, one recent moment, I was traveling through an airport, this was a couple of years ago, and all of a sudden I heard clapping going on. And I was wondering, where's this clapping coming from? And then I started to notice the clapping was getting closer and closer and closer to me. But there was also something else that was getting closer and closer to me, and that was our military troops in their uniforms. And as our military troops walked through our public airports across the nation... As they were coming and going to war, guess what? Didn't matter anymore. Didn't matter whether you agreed with the war or you disagreed with it. Didn't matter whether you supported it or you didn't support it. You honored the soldier who was in it. And there's something about praise creates an honor. It grows inside of you. That that clapping of the hands, that shouting, that high-fiving. There was an expression of honor that was happening. Here's the beauty of praise creating honor. Honor was both being expressed by me, but it was also being felt by them. Praise that creates an attitude of honor is a win-win situation. So when you truly praise God, all of these attributes begin to develop in you. Your value for God starts to increase. That's awesome. Your loyalty towards God is almost demanded. Man, God, I praise you. Your loyalty towards Him. You're, to, you're wanting to defend Him. Your, your, your desire just to have whatever He has. Right? Man, that, that Bible, I gotta, I gotta have that. That, you know, man, I wanna download that worship song. I wanna put that on my iPod. I wanna listen to that. I, that loyalty that goes, I want everything that you have, God. And praise inside of your own heart towards God. It starts developing this desire to promote. And you wanna start telling others about God. You want others to experience the very same thing that you're experiencing. All of this is happening when we, out of praise, just praise for God. All of that kind of stuff begins to happen. And an attitude of honoring God begins to develop inside of your heart. Now, let's take all of that and land it on prayer. What would it look like if your prayer life, even for the next week, had nothing to do with any of your requests that you made to God, Right? It didn't revolve around your problems, didn't revolve around your issues. If it just revolved around you getting in God's presence and just praising Him. How how would you start to find the heart of God? Your values for God increase. Your loyalty for God increases. Your desire to tell others about God increases. Your honor for God increases. Do you start finding God's heart? The answer to that would be yes. And when you're finding God's heart, do you think, do you think, just possibly, just maybe, 
that God already has the solution that you're looking for in prayer? And is it possible that if you just come to honor Him, that He honors you by slipping into your heart and your mind the very solution you need for the scenario you're facing? That's what Nehemiah finds out. That's where Nehemiah goes. This devastation, this destruction, this overwhelming sense of, you know, wow, we are in such a bad place. But instead of him suggesting to God the 12 different things that God could do to fix the scenario, he weeps and he mourns and he fasts for days, and then he starts praising God. There's something about that that you and me can learn today. And that's exactly where we want to go. Let's use Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5 to help us understand how can we use praise and the awe of God to truly find the heart of God, therefore finding the solution to the very prayer that we need to pray. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5. It says, Then I, Nehemiah, said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of unfailing love with those who love Him and obey His commands. O God, the God of heaven, great and awesome. There's two things that stand out to me from that passage that Nehemiah is using coming out of this despair, coming out of this, my world's been wrecked, coming out of life, life took a curveball, coming out of, I just got stopped in my tracks, coming out of all of that confusion, all of that pain, all of that suffering, Nehemiah comes to this place. What are the two things you really hear Nehemiah saying in that passage? I don't want you to answer that out loud. I just want you to answer it internally. What are two things you sense that he's, that he's saying? There's just two things that I really picked up from this. The first thing was that Nehemiah was boldly proclaiming that God is great. Now, in what way is God great? Well, Nehemiah gives us the answer to that. When he says, O oh God of heaven, O oh God of heaven, great and awesome. What's he saying? Oh God of heaven. God of everything. God of creation. Genesis chapter 1. God of creation. You created all things. Nothing existed before you. Oh God of heaven. You are great. In spite of a city with its walls destroyed. In spite of a family that's all ripped apart. In spite of a job that seems like it's coming apart at the seams. In spite of all that things. You are God of creation. You're God of the heavens. You're God of everything. And he moves on. And God of the heavens, what are the heavens if they aren't massive? Oh, God, you are massive. You are God of the heavens. There's nothing that even compares to you. I'm like a speck. I'm not even a speck of dust in the, in the, light, of, in, in the light of the universe. Isaiah chapter 40. You hold the universe in your hands. God, you... You use your finger to measure the universe. You're massive. You are the God of you're the God of the heavens. Something's happening. He's declaring the greatness of God. He's also declaring how God is significant. That without you, my life doesn't exist. Without you, my life has no purpose. He's declaring the greatness of God. In the greatness of God, his heart is being molded and transformed. He's putting life into the proper perspective. All as he's praising God. When was the last time that you found yourself completely overwhelmed by the greatness of God? 
was the last time that you were in prayer? You just were dropped to your knees as the thoughts and the concepts. God, oh God of the heavens, you are great. When was that last time? I'm going to encourage you. Go back to that place. Hunt for that place. Seek for that place. Remind yourself, nothing compares to God. Nothing. No one, no thing. Nothing compares to God. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 71, he says, Your righteousness, O God, it reaches to the highest heavens. You have done such wonderful things. Who can compare with you, O God? Your righteousness, it reaches to the highest of heavens. It doesn't, there is no end to your righteousness. I don't know where it ends, God. You're perfect. You're so perfect, I don't even know how to define it. And what, who? Who compares? What compares with you? Yeah. So maybe that's another good question. Does, does anything in your life come close to even comparing with God? Because if it does, it's really, it's seriously going to diminish the greatness of God. If anything comes close to comparing to Him, you just have brought God down to a humanistic level. Versus, you are, you're higher than any heavens I know of. You're greater than any creation I've ever seen before. Nothing, no one, nothing compares with you. But to help you maybe put this whole point into perspective, who's up for playing a little game right now? Anybody? Let's, let's, let's play the greatness game. You guys ever played the greatness game before? No, it's because I just made it up. All right, so we're going to play the greatness game, all right? And we're going to put some things that represent some components of your life up on the screen. We're going to see which one is greater, okay? So as an example, here's the first one, Warren Buffett. Now, Warren Buffett is going to represent money, okay? Now, how much money does Warren Buffett have? Very good answer. A lot. Okay. How many of you guys would just be thankful if Warren Buffett just decided to sneeze and he wrote you accidentally a check for a million dollars? Yeah, you would take it, right? I don't even have to split the money with you, Warren Buffett, 50-50. It would be, it would be just good enough just to sneeze, accidentally add an extra zero and write the check for a million dollars. Right. But which one is greater? I mean, Warren Buffett's money, let's just talk, let's be honest. On this planet, Warren Buffett's money is great. Okay. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. On this planet, his money is great. But compared to God, which one's greater? Ah, okay. See how the game works? You think you can figure this one out? How about, how about this next one? We have, uh, we have the U.S. military. Strong, powerful, defensive. They, they can strike you by air, by sea, by land, by the internet, by a computer, they can strike you and not even know that they were there. I mean, they're a, a drone. I don't even know what they'll use. But they can strike you. It represents all of your security, all the things you put trust in, all the things that you count on, right? U.S. military, great on this planet. God? Greater. That's right. Very good. You guys are going to pass this test, I think. You're going to feel good about yourself when you walk out of here. You're going to be like, man, I am smart. No matter what you said. All right. Don't, I wouldn't point to the person next to you at that moment. But I'm just saying. How about this one? Because this gets a little tricky. How about a martyr? Old Roman Colosseum concept. A lion. 
You know, Christians burning on crosses all the way around. I mean, a martyr, I mean, come on. Would that not be one of the greatest gifts that you could give to God is to stand up for Him in the midst of whatever persecution comes? Doesn't that represent how firm you feel about your faith? Doesn't that represent how strong you feel about what you've discovered about God? Which one's greater, the martyr or God? See, God's even still greater than your own spiritual sacrifice. How about this one? This one will get close to us. You recognize that place? Great, great church. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. It's been a wonderful, healthy church up to this moment. And I know God's mandate for my life in calling me here was, Jeff, don't screw that up. So, we're going to do our best not to screw that up. And continue to take this church into the future, become the greatest church it could be. Just keep building on the foundation. But all the wonderful things that God's done in your life here, the security that you have, the family that you have, you know, the proud pride that you have of, you know, starting with nothing. Some of you were here when nothing was here, and then now it's all that it, that's become. All of that stuff. Which one's greater, this or God? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? What about this last one? It represents your personal dream. It represents your agenda. It represents your freedom, your independence. It represents... The things that you're living for. What you feel like, man, this is what I... I bring this to my world. I bring this strength. You know, this is me. It's my identity. Which one is greater? Your dreams or God? Yeah. And when you're able to come before God with your life, and you take your little pieces and you compare them, and you say, God, this is, this is really important, but you're still greater. Guess what begins to happen in you? Faith begins to increase. My God, you, you really are greater than my finances, my retirement, my, my future. God, when, when you bring these things to God and you go, man, that thing is important, but God, you're greater, guess what else begins to happen? Your, your perspective begins to change. Now, you're going to have to come back next week if you really want to see how Nehemiah's perspective changed. Or, I guess you do have the freedom to read ahead in your Bible. Can't really stop you from doing that. But Nehemiah's perspective changes. He goes from weeping, mourning, fasting, God, what in the world's going to happen, to verse 6 through 11, things all begin to change for him. And what I'm bringing to the table today in Scripture is his heart begins to change, his perspective begins to change, and his faith increases when in, in light of his, his horrific scenario that he's faced with, because he starts to praise God and he starts to declare how great God is so how is God going to become great in your life again how's that going to happen how are you going to get from where you're at to making God great again are you just going to discipline yourself when you come into prayer you're like, God you're great because I'm going to tell you you're not going to always feel that way it's not always going to be the first thing that comes to your mind let me tell you a little spiritual habit that I use that helps me actually get beyond the world it helps me to get beyond my scenario. It helps me to move beyond what I'm feeling, right? And it moves me into a better attitude of praise. One of those spiritual habits that I use in my personal life is praying through Scripture. Taking a passage of Scripture and allowing it to now become my coach. Allowing it to become my guide. Allowing it to kind of dictate for me how I'm going to praise God in spite of how I feel right now, and in spite of the whirlwind that's racing around in my mind. So let me give you an example of what I mean by that, because Psalms is a great book to use 
Many of the chapters in there are great chapters, great verses just to kind of allow it to be your coach for praising God. Let me show you what I'm, what I'm talking about. We're going to use Psalms chapter 47, and I'm just going to kind of walk you through it really quick and kind of show you what I mean by it. Here's what verses 1 and 2 says. It says, Come, everyone, clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great King of all the earth. Now, I already have read through Psalms 47, and I had already predetermined that that was a great chunk that I could come to a conclusion on, that I could wrap myself around. And what is it that I sense God's Spirit is saying to me when I read those those two verses? Maybe better yet, what do you sense God's Spirit is saying to you when you look at those two verses? See, because whatever you sense God's Spirit saying to you at that very moment, guess what you want to have come out of your mouth? <laughs> what God's Spirit is saying to you. Absolutely. For me, it was about celebrating. I want to celebrate how amazing God is. I want to celebrate how just God is as a king. So literally, I would find myself in an auditorium like you're in or we're in right now. And maybe I would just be in here and I'd be walking with my iPad. Psalms 47 is up. I read verses 1 and 2 and then I just start practicing exactly what it says. Shout to God with a joyful praise. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to lift up my voice and begin to shout to God. God, you are amazing. I celebrate how good you are. You are beyond my world. You're beyond my thinking. God, you are the king of all the earth. There's none that compares with you. And then parents are coming, dropping their kids off at our daycare, Sunshine World, thinking what in the world's going on in the auditorium. And everything's cool. People live. It's fine. You might want to get in your car, turn the radio up. Maybe you want to go to a room down in the basement. Maybe you want to find yourself in your bedroom. Maybe you want to go on a walk in the park. I, I, it doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter to me. How long would you pray that type of a prayer in verses 1 and 2? How long would you do that? Some of you are, some of you are those kind of people you'd be like, well, I think five minutes would be good, Jeff. No, that would be the wrong answer. Oh, okay, okay. Well, more discipline. I got it. That's what you're looking for. Ten minutes. No, that's the wrong answer, too. You would pray that as long as you sense God's Spirit is weighing that on your heart. Right? Okay. That's pretty, pretty simple. Then what would you do? Right. You'd go to the next verse. So, you go to the next verse. He subdues the nations before us, putting our enemies beneath our feet. Wow. God, you are more powerful than the battle that I'm facing right now. God, you do have more authority to quiet my attackers. I would just come before Him. I would just start using these words to dictate my prayer. And then, when I feel released from that, I would move to the next verse. But guess what happened? I jumped to verse 5. What happened to verse 4? It didn't matter to me at that moment. You thought I had some kind of like big spiritual answer to that, didn't you? I read over it. Nothing stood out to me. So guess what I did? I didn't fret over it. I didn't worry over it. I didn't allow it to distract me. I kept on moving. I kept moving. And I got to verse 5 and all of a sudden it says, God has ascended with a mighty shout. The Lord has ascended with trumpets blaring. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises. What in the world do you think we're supposed to do at this moment? Sing praises to our King. By the way, if you didn't get it, sing praises. And then he comes back and he goes, For God is the King over all the earth. 
What? Praise Him with a... If you don't understand what sing praises is, maybe try a psalm. So it's very, very hard stuff to palate here. Very like, God, what exactly should I be doing here? You know what you should be doing? Singing praises. How about just take some time just to make it your personal worship time? Go, I don't know any worship songs, Jeff. Well, in a minute, but the worship team's going to come up and they're going to lead you in a few. You might want to pay attention. Then you got a few. They're not just in your head. They're in your heart, right? Now they're in your heart. You can use them later. They're a tool that you can use. And when you get to a passage like this, you're like, sing praises. Holy cow, I could sing forever. And you just start worshiping God. Now again, it might be somewhat redundant, but I do want to ask you the question, how long would you stay in that kind of an atmosphere? Until you sung through all the songs that you know the words to? No, you would stay there as long as you sense God's going, stay in this place, Jeff. Stay in this place. Because this is where you're going to find me. And when you find me, you're you're not only going to find my presence, but you're going to find solutions to things you didn't even know you needed solutions for. When you find God, you're finding the ultimate answer for your life. It wraps up, though, with this. It says, God reigns above the nations, sitting on His holy throne, the rulers of the world have gathered together with the people of God, of the God of Abraham. For all the kings of the earth belong to God. He is highly honored everywhere. God reigns over all the earth. God is the creator of all things. These are the kind of things I could hear myself saying. No matter what our government has done, God is still in charge. Now, how does that feel, right? How does it feel when you walk through an exercise of just giving God praise? Even in these last few moments for me, I mean, I could wrap up the sermon right now. I could just walk away because for me, man, you start to feel a little full. You start to feel like, man, God, that that feels right to praise you. It feels right to worship you. So the first thing, if you want to find the the heart of God in prayer, is, is don't rule out praise. Don't rule out praise. Praise Him because He's great. But also, the second thing Nehemiah notices this, is praise God, praise God because He's awesome. That God is awesome. Now, many times when we hear people talk about awesome, they talk about the fear of the Lord. And when they talk about the fear of the Lord, then they talk about, well, then give God respect and give God honor. Right? Have you heard those kind of messages before? If you've ever been to church before, someone talked about the fear of the Lord, that it meant, it meant to give God respect and to give God honor meant that I had a deep respect for God and His Word, God and His ways. A deep respect for that. And you know what? That's exactly right. There's nothing wrong with that. However, in this particular passage, when Nehemiah says, O God of heaven, great and awesome, there is no beating around the bush. When he uses the word awesome, he literally means fear. Great and fearful God. Fearful God. God, you are perfect beyond what I can describe or imagine. I fear that in you. God, you are the ultimate power. There isn't a nuclear power plant, a solar uh, power you know, strip, or a, or a wind turbine, you know, or a uh, hydro dam. There is nothing that, that equates to your power. There isn't a person that's had a title, that sits in a position of authority, that has the kind of power that you have. You are the ultimate power. God, I fear that about you. We can't forget the fact that, listen, God is dangerous. And He's ferocious. 
Jeff, I thought that we came to church and, you know, God is love and God is peace and God is grace. I'm telling you today, God is dangerous and He's ferocious. And I mean that with all sincerity. Who else speaks with but one word and a sun lights up that millions of nuclear explosions are happening every second? How ferocious is that? How dangerous is that? Just go step out in the sun this week, you know, and uh, you know, put some nice vegetable oil on your skin and find out how dangerous that is. It's going to fry you. And you're how many miles away from it? How far away? It takes eight minutes for the sun to burn its light and to get to our planet. What if you were just standing right next to it? You wouldn't even exist anymore. That's a dangerous, ferocious God. That God took the dust of this earth that's in this room right now and he, he forms it and he breathes into it and then boom, man shows up. If God can create that, what else can God create? In the complexity of God, he designs our solar system, puts it into a galaxy, puts that into a universe. And like I said earlier in Isaiah 40, he holds it in his hands. How ferocious and dangerous is our God? That if he spoke in one word and the earth came into existence and he spoke with one word and humanity came into an existence, can't he also speak with one word and poof, it's all gone. See, we love creation. We love grace. We love Jesus. But if you really want to find God through prayer, then you have to come to God with awe. And that means you come to a dangerous, ferocious God. Should you fear God? The answer to that is yes. The psalmist said this in chapter 33. He says, let the whole world fear the Lord, by the way, and let everyone stand in awe of Him. All of us. But here's the, here's the thing. The good news is that, yes, God's dangerous. He's ferocious. Should you fear Him? Absolutely. You're standing in the presence of the most holy, the, whole, the most holy thing you're ever going to stand in the presence of. But, God is good. But God is good. Dangerous and ferocious, but good. The ability to destroy all things, it's like He created them, but tender. Full of love. Right? That through Christ, we have no fear of God's condemnation. Just look at John 3.17, the next time you go quote John 3.16. That Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn it. He sent it. He sent Jesus into the world to show His goodness so that this dangerous, ferocious God could somehow gain relationship with His creation. Because we are completely imperfect. We are completely unholy. And that can't exist in the presence of a holy God. But with Christ, now we are brought to Him. But, not, we are, but we are not isolated from the accountability of God. Which basically means that can your sins be forgiven through, the, through, through Christ? Yes, your sins can be forgiven through Christ. Does that mean that all the consequences, the accountability of your actions though, does that mean all of those are going to drift away? No, they don't. 
Because God's to be feared. And some of you, you're forgiven from your sins, but you still have to live with the consequences of them. I don't ever want you to become a people that equate grace with softness. Don't equate grace with softness. Just because God provides grace does not mean that God is soft. God is dangerous and ferocious. We should be in awe of Him. However, He is good and He's full of grace. And that's how we should come to Him as well. So healthy fear, a healthy fear of God can actually create a healthy respect for God and a healthy respect for His ways. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Anybody here afraid of heights? You're afraid of heights? How do you like a picture like that? Are you getting a little queasy? We don't have any, we don't have any of those nice airbags in front of you. You can't just pull those out like you have on a plane. So please, please, uh, you know, calm yourself down. All right. So you're afraid of heights. Well, guess what? Guess what? I'm not afraid of heights, but I am fearful of what heights can do. Right? So when I get up on a ladder, I don't freeze. I can get up on a ladder, get a little comfortable, and then I can grab with one hand and I can reach out and adjust something uh, over here. Right? And I don't know why. That's just who I am. I, but I do have a healthy fear of what heights can do to me. Although I'm not afraid of heights. Anybody else with me? I, so I get up there and I do what I need to do. I, I, I move around. I, I'm free to do the job I have to do. Because I have a healthy, res, a healthy respect and a healthy fear of what heights can do. That's the way God wants us to come to Him. He wants us to come to Him going, God, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. But the whole time I have a healthy fear of you. I want to do things the way you want me to. Because if I decide I'm just going to use grace to my advantage, there's going to become a day where I'm going to pay the penalty for that. I'm going to pay the price for that. There's a day that I have to stand before a holy, righteous God who has amazingly massive angelic beings that guard the gates of heaven. There's a day where i got to stand before a God like that. So, when you have a fear for the heights, you respect the heights, but you still get your job done. If you just said that you respect the heights, it doesn't necessarily equate to a fear for the heights, though. A lot of you respect God, but you don't fear God. A lot of you respect God's Word, but you don't fear Him enough to obey it. A lot of you have the right words to say that lets us know you respect Him, but the actions of your life, they don't fear Him. So the first thing that you really need to do is kind of look at your life and go, where do I say the right thing, but I don't live the right thing? Because where you say the right thing, but you don't live the right thing, that's where you should be able to say, that's where I don't have a healthy fear of the Lord at. That's the place that I need to, I need to grow in my fear of the Lord. I need to get my life lined up with God in that place. Maybe that's what God's saying to you today. Healthy awe, a healthy fear of God, it will keep your attention focused on Him. And when you have that healthy fear of God that keeps your attention focused on Him, guess what you're doing? You're naturally praising God. See, when you come to God with that kind of attitude, how, how could you begin to start hearing God's voice more clearly? First off, you wouldn't think you already knew the answer. Because you would go, man, how huge are you? How minuscule am I? You wouldn't come with your 12 solutions to your problem. God, you, would you like to pick option A today, God? Option B or option C? 
It really doesn't matter to me. I would prefer you if you pick option A, but you could use option B or C. I could live with it. You wouldn't come that way if you had a fear of God in prayer. You would come to God in just as awe and wait in His presence, knowing that He already has a solution. He already knew your problem before you brought it to Him. He already knew your need before you ever requested it. He starts speaking it into your heart. You're finding God's heart through prayer. When you praise God, though, there's something that's going to happen. Here's what you need to know. Maybe you're coming to God and praising Him and you're in awe of Him because, you know, man, you just know you need to spend some time with Him. you got some things going on. You need God's solution. The first thing that God's going to do, though, is when you come into the presence of a holy God, God's not going to deal with your, with your answer for your prayer. God's not going to instantly give you the answer to your prayer. This is not a key turn kind of a situation where you praise Him and you're in awe of Him and then He gives you the answer. Let me tell you the first thing that happens when mankind, imperfect, you know, unholy man comes into a perfect God presence. Guess what God deals with first? Your heart. He deals with this. God wants to get this lined up before He wants to get that lined up. So just be aware you're going to practice praising a holy God and standing truly in awe, in fear of a righteous, ferocious, dangerous God, always know the holiness of God is going to expose the sin of your heart. You better be prepared to deal with that first before you ever start dealing with the solution you're needing for whatever it is, the little, the little pinch that's happening on your flesh. God's always going to go there. Be prepared to confess be prepared to repent. Praise and awe. So let's recap really quick. Praising God in prayer changes the way that you're going to start seeing the world. You're going to start seeing God as, as bigger than life. You're going to start seeing God as the ultimate solution for what you're looking for. But praising God in prayer uh, is, going to, is going to also allow God to expose the sin that's in your heart which is going to allow you to get closer to God because you're coming into the presence of a holy God. See, big difference. Nehemiah doesn't start with all of his words. He starts by humbling himself and praising God. And in the midst of that, he finds himself in God's presence. Now you're lined up to really hear God's heart, but you need to know God's going to speak about your heart first. Praising God in prayer is a statement of faith, though. You could, in your scenario, whatever you're facing that you need to come to God in prayer with, just go out and try to fix it. But instead, you came to God, and instead of just asking God or demanding God for answers, you started praising God. Guess what? Now, that faith is increasing in you. God, you really do have the solutions for me. You really do have the answers for what I'm doing. You really are in control. That's where we need to go. So, what hinders all of it? What hinders all of it is an unsurrendered heart, in areas of your life where you're comparing, this is great. In fact, I believe right now this is greater than God. You take the things in your life right now that you've declared as being great and you're almost kind of worshiping them and you lay them down, that's, you're going to start hearing God more clearly. When, when you surrender your life to God and you start saying, God, I haven't feared you like I need to, and you come to an altar like what's in front of our auditoriums and you lay your life down and you start really basking in that and God starts overwhelming you again with how powerful and mighty He is, wow, now, now you're going to start really finding the heart of God. What's keeping you from finding the heart of God? Things that you've compared with God? Attitude adjustments that need to happen? 
a lack of the true fear of God? What's in that way of keeping you from truly praising God and being in awe of Him? Let's deal with that piece in this time of worship. Worship teams are going to be coming in just a minute. And when they do, I don't want you just to follow their words. I want you to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if He leads you down to the front as the hungry come to altars to seek God, then that's where you go. If He leads you just to worship Him and praise Him, then that's where you go. But you find yourself in the, in the atmosphere, in the presence of God, praising Him, standing in awe of Him. I guarantee you today, you will be finding God. And when you find God, you find the answer to life. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father, we're going to take these next few moments just to praise You. We're going to take these next few moments to allow a recalibration in our heart that we would start being in a greater awe of You. Lord, so many times we forget how incredibly powerful You are. How amazing You are. How bigger than our world You are. Bigger than our universe. You're, you're so much bigger than our little, minute, small issue that happens on planet Earth. But God, You care so much about us. You're both, you're both dangerous and ferocious, but you're good and you're gentle. God, help us to recalibrate that grace doesn't equate softness. Grace is an extension of your power. It's an extension of how massive you are. It's an extension of your love. It's an extension of relationship. Today, God, may we come before you and lay our lives down before a perfect, holy God. May we praise you. Lord, all we have is words to use right now. All we have is our, is our body just to submit it before you. All we have is our mind to try to quiet it before you. Now we lack in so many ways in what it means to truly worship a holy God. But Lord, you designed us this way. This is the worship you want. It's a worship that puts you first. It's a worship that lays our life down. It's a, it's a worship that surrenders. It's a worship that recognizes we're in the presence of holiness. We are in the presence of greatness. We are in the presence of awe and wonder. As we worship you, would you transform us, change us, help us to hear your heart, help us to find you. In Jesus' name, amen.